Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. For all the guff that the genre gets, horror has progressively been working towards creating more narratives with empowered female leads. Antiquated tropes such as eye candy or typical rape-revenge stories are frequently being replaced with empowered women who don't aimlessly run screaming into the night at the first sign of danger. Rather, they stand against that which threatens them, for better or worse. The basis for this empowerment can come in many forms, providing a new variety of smart storytelling, such as The Beach House. Currently streaming on Shudder, Jeffrey A. Brown's debut feature is an example of presenting a grounded basis for the film's empowered female lead before throwing her head first into hell. Randall and Emily's relationship is strained, to say the least. Nothing that a weekend retreat to Randall's family beach house can't fix, or so they thought. When they arrive, though, they are unexpectedly greeted by family friends Mitch and Jane. The couples agree to share the house and decide to make the most of their newfound company. Though, what begins as an unexpected but enjoyable company quickly grows contentious. After numerous drinks and childhood stories told at Randall's expense, the couples reluctantly accept Randall's sudden offer to take marijuana edibles. What begins as a trippy overindulgence leads to numerous events that no one can fully explain. Events that they will only fully come to understand once it's too late. At the film's core, The Beach House is a story of a fractured relationship between two people headed in opposite directions. Emily is enthusiastically planning to attend grad school to pursue a degree in astrobiology, while Randall has suddenly dropped out of college and adopted a laissez-faire lifestyle. What begins as a simple difference of opinion turns self-serving as Randall tries to persuade Emily to abandon her plans in favor of his newfound lifestyle. Rather than a drawn-out shouting match, the tension between the couple is subtle but ever-present, which is refreshing given the typical emphasis directors place on overt and often spectacle-style character infighting, whereas Browns opts for a smarter approach that helps to retain and fuel the film's tension later down the line. In terms of performances, Liana Liberato's portrayal of a woman at a potentially painful crossroads in her life is equally sympathetic and empowering. She steals the show, given her resilience to breaking down or outright submitting to her loser boyfriend's empty platitudes and lofty promises is empowering as it is refreshing. She isn't afraid to stand up and defend her plan of action, something he is sorely missing, and this drive is what helps her to navigate the otherworldly turn their weekend takes. The Beach House is broken into seemingly two entirely different horror subgenres. Mitch and Jane's arrival is sudden, but they seem like a perfectly lovely couple. But the longer the couples converse, it's apparent that secrets are being kept from one another. This secrecy makes for some awkward and suspicious conversations between the couples about life, generational differences, and pursuit of happiness to an extent. Honestly, I'd guessed a completely different course the plot would take, given the heavy emphasis on capturing the secrecy and tension between the couples. And while I was ultimately incorrect in my predictions, it kept me engaged throughout the film's first act and eager to see how its narrative would unfold. I would compare the tone of the first half of the film to Karen Kusama's The Invitation. The viewer must attempt to decipher whether inconspicuous behavior is nefarious in intent or not. This makes for a tense first half, which is light on scares, but highlights Brown's ability to convey mood and atmosphere through uneasy character interactions. Brown casts a dreamlike quality over the seashore setting, allowing the sea itself to have a presence amongst the house guests. Periodically during monologues, the camera will cut from the characters talking and focus on a household item. For example, 
When Emily enthusiastically describes her field of study to Jane, the camera cuts to a tightly detailed shot of a shucked oyster or a glass of wine. The highly detailed shots of an item juxtaposed to her monologue give it a trance-like quality. This results in the audience hyper-focusing on a seemingly innocuous object, moments before presenting them with increasingly strange events. The narrative escalates drastically, evolving into part post-apocalyptic creature feature and part cosmic horror in the blink of an eye. As, during the course of their edibles trip, a thick fog consumes the beach house, skewering the couple's view of the outside world. Then Jane wanders off to the docks, where she finds an otherworldly patch of glowing and very slimy gelatin foliage that defies reality. This is where the inklings of the supernatural begin to occur, but of the cosmic variety and their being largely inexplainable. The morning after the couple's weed indulgence, they discover the beach shore is covered in strange gelatin pods. Adding more confusion to the chaos to come, Mitch is missing, and Janet shuffles through the house, unresponsive to Emily and Randall's offers for help. The film's overtly horror-centric second half places a heavy emphasis on practical creature effects and grotesque body horror. It's an ambitious and jarring shift that succeeds through creative execution and being built up by the relationship-centric first act. By investing the audience in the character's relationship, there's added weight to growing horrors that Emily and Randall will soon discover. Whether it's Emily removing a strange tentacle embedded in her foot with a kitchen knife or an infected person regurgitating gooey slime, the beach house's nightmarish visuals stuck with me. Seeing Emily, a character we are actually invested in, adds more emotional weight to watching her slice a strange wound open in her foot, only to remove a long, dangly, parasitic thing. This is the film's one real instance of body horror, with mutated creatures and zombie-like infected coming shortly, but I would have preferred many more moments such as this. That said, I did enjoy the film's creature feature practical effects, as we see the results of the infection that is consuming the beachfront residents. Gruesome and gooey, but again, I wish there were more of these instances of these strong glimpses of creature effects. I will say, what propped up these brief glimpses was the film's general atmosphere. Adopting a spooky, coastline atmosphere not unlike John Carpenter's The Fog really gives it far more personality than just another sandy setting. The shoreline setting is one that doesn't get utilized nearly as creatively as it could, and the beach house captures its remote and haunting atmosphere incredibly well. The beach house largely succeeds at what it sets out to accomplish, a surprising blend of genres executed on with a pleasantly surprising amount of craft for a debut feature. The film would have benefited from more instances of body horror to capitalize on the first half's tension, but this doesn't stop it from being an emotionally fraught creature feature. I highly recommend this to people that are a fan of atmospheric horror and cosmic horror. And that'll do it for another episode of Daily Horror Habit. I'll see you guys tomorrow for another Daily Horror Movie Review. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Daily Horror Habit podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service. And follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram or at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.